Today on the show, we have all that an honest podcast could want. The love of our listeners, the quality of our source material, the respect of one another, mm-hmm. and a new episode to record. <laughs> Let's go. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And guess what? Today, uh, we're talking about a beard model. Beard! <laughs> beard man dad <laughs> guy. We are talking about Leto Atreides. <laughs> One of the, oh, he's just swell. He's just a fantastic guy. Yeah, I can't wait to get into today's episode. I love doing these character deep dives because it not only expands my appreciation of the character as I know them already, Mm -hmm. but also often changes entire scenes and context from the books. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's a little bit of the goal of today's episode as well. We all know and love Duke Leto. We all know and are deeply deeply in love with oscar isaac (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh but hopefully after today's episode some of those scenes from the movie some of your favorite scenes from the book that include duke leto will feel a little different once you know more about him i mean honestly i can say totally sincerely that after scripting this episode and doing the research i want to rewatch dune (laughs) i want to reread dune (laughs) because there are whether or not frank intended it when he first wrote that first book there are little callbacks to things that happened in Leto's life. It's so cool. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay, well, before we get ahead of ourselves and explore the life of the man, the myth, the legend, let's take care of some housekeeping at the top of the show. Sure. First and foremost, a reminder that we have a book club series on this podcast. Yeah. We have a 10-part series covering the entirety of the first book and an eight-part series covering the sequel, Dune Messiah, which we just recently completed over on the Patreon. So becoming a patron lets you binge all those episodes, or you can wait for them to roll out onto the public feed. Either way, those are a great starting point if you are new to the world of Dune. They're spoiler-free. We talk about the main plots. We share some deep-dive takeaways and explore some deep lore cuts that you might miss on your first read or on your 12th read. Right. Now, you mentioned it, so let's talk about it. We do have a Patreon, and it is, by a league, the best way to support the show and help us continue making this thing that is Gam Jabbar. Mm-hmm. You can find that and all of the relevant details at patreon.com forward slash Gam Jabbar. You have ad-free episodes. You've got additional little bonus clips. You have access to the book club a little bit early, like you were just saying, uh, as well as an exclusive Discord where... You'll join the discard and one of us will say hi. (laughs) Talk to us. Hi. Yeah. And speaking of our patrons, as always, we have to shout out our incredibly generous Kwisatz Haderach level patrons. Mm. These guys must have beards that rival Oscar Isaacs. (laughs) Case Aiken, Nate Hyde, thank you so much for your incredible support. And of course, that thank you extends to all of our patrons and all of our listeners who tune into this show week after week and share it with their friends and family. Here's a joke that'll only make sense once you finish this episode. I feel like Case (laughs) and Nate are the sorts to, I don't know, 
foster orphans. Yeah. You know, great stand-up individuals. (laughs) (laughs) Put a pin in that. That's a later detail. (laughs) We do have, as another way to support the show, uh, some merchandise. You can check that out at gomjabarshop.com. We've got some apparel. We've got some designs, some art, and even a soft enamel pen, which is pretty sweet. That's right. Show off how much you love this podcast and how much you love Dune. The same time. Two birds, one Chris knife. (laughs) (laughs) As always, if you have an episode idea, if you want to geek out about Dune, if you want to just say hello, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the best place to do that. We love to get your emails and we love to respond to them. So reach out to us at gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, becoming a patron lets you just uh, message us directly on Discord. (laughs) Right. It's true. We'll be setting up a Distrans service soon, working on it. Turns out (laughs) bats are really hard to train. Okay. Well, that's our generic housekeeping out of the way. Let's talk about today's episode. Let's get into uh, what we're going to be talking about. And of course, to start that, we do need to say what the spoiler warning is going to be. I'm happy to say that today's episode will only spoil the first book of Dune. So Dune by Frank Herbert... (laughs) not touching Messiah, going nowhere near it. Uh, That is all we're going to be talking about today. So if you haven't read Dune, be warned. There will be spoilers for the main plot of Dune. Otherwise, safe listening. Safe listening for you. That's right. And of course, like we said earlier, today's episode is going to be focused on our man, Duke Leto Atreides. Right. We're going to be covering his life from his earliest years all the way up to the current timeline in Dune and talking about some of his adventures in the first book as well. Right. And then later in the episode, we'll unpack some of the larger themes of his life and what they represent for Frank's story and for the Dune saga overall. Leto being such a central character in this story, his life carries a lot of meaning and his character represents a lot of big themes that show up time and time again in this story. So we'll dig a little deeper into that as well. I was going to say, beyond literally fathering Neo from the Matrix, <laughs> like the Kwisatz Haderach daddy. Yeah. Uh, Who is your daddy? <laughs> Leto, immediately Leto. <laughs> he has a very significant part in Paul's identity. So tremendously important character. And I think there's a lot of really fun, juicy stuff to sink our teeth into today. As a quick side note, we did a History of House Atreides episode, which was completely spoiler-free as well, and covered some of the same timeline leading up to Leto, but a big chunk of this script started there, and then we took it out of that episode because it was going to be like a five-hour episode. So we're talking about it today, but if you want even more Atreidean history, just know we have a whole episode dedicated to that, and that is 100% spoiler-free. That's right. All right, with all of that preamble out of the way, let's take a short break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to get into the life of Duke Leto Atreides right after this. Mm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you had plenty of time to oil your beards, to run your comb through those beautiful locks. (laughs) We're going to talk now about Leto's life, starting naturally from his earliest years. Where does Leto Atreides begin? Well, he begins a lot like you and me. As a cute little bearded baby. Oh, big old beard. 80% beard, 20% baby. (laughs) Exactly. Leto is born in the year 10,140 AG on the beautiful paradise planet of Kaladin. Nice. And a reminder that at this point in history, House Atreides has been well established on planet Kaladin for almost 1,500 years now. And... They've gone through a relatively peaceful time. Right. House Atreides has had many ups and downs throughout its history, (laughs) but these last thousand or so years have been pretty peaceful. And so that's the world that young bearded baby Leto Atreides (laughs) is born into. Yeah, it helps that Caladan, in addition to being beautiful, is a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah. Definitely helps out a bit. Now, when it comes to Leto's parents... Immediately shit gets complicated. Uh, So let's just get through this quickly. In Frank's writings, Leto's father is referred to as, quote, the old Duke. Mm -hmm. Capital T, capital O, capital D. (laughs) There's something really grand about just being called the old Duke, you know? Yeah. So we don't really get a name or much of a backstory, although characters frequently mention his demeanor, the kind of cold, calculating often cruel characteristics. We do get some maybe more flushed out detail from the Dune Encyclopedia, which is to say there's an entire fucking article about (laughs) Leto's father, whose name, according to the Dune Encyclopedia, is Duke Mentor Atreides, a.k.a. uh, Minotaurus, Minotaurus Atreides. Yep. And then we have the Brian Herbert Cannon, uh, who basically establishes Leto's father as Paulus Atreides, which it's a boring name. <laughs> you have <laughs> reduced the number of names in the Atreidean line to two. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Just give him a new name, man. <laughs> to tell you. Uh, for real. Well, as always, we are solidly team encyclopedia here on this podcast. Right. So with that in mind, let's move forward, assuming that the old Duke was named Duke Mentor Atreides as the encyclopedia says. Right. Now, it takes two to tango, and it takes two to birth a baby. (laughs) So who was Leto's mother? According to the encyclopedia, she was a concubine named Becca, Mm. who died during the birth. Right. So Leto never grew up knowing his mother, which is so sad. Yeah. And Duke Minotaurus Atreides was left to raise and care for her son, Solo. And for all intents and purposes, it sounds like he did a pretty good job. Yeah. The encyclopedia talks about how he was a loving father and did everything within his power to prepare his son for the responsibility of dukedom, for the responsibility of one day becoming the head of House Atreides. Right, right. We get this surprisingly sweet quote from the encyclopedia. Quote, Leto was Mentor's greatest source of joy in the last decades of his long life, end quote. Oh, sweet. I love that. 
you know, this sort of omniscient statement that Leto was his greatest source of joy doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that he was all hugs and <laughs> gentle pats on the back. Uh, could have been a very demanding father. Yeah. But nevertheless, you can't argue with results. The Leto we meet in, in 10,191 is pretty fucking prepared for the whole world. So all of that to say, it's fun to hear a little bit about Mentor. Seems like a, an interesting character. Yeah. And we get a bit of context about him, actually. Yeah. In the encyclopedia, we get this quote. Here is what Duke Mentor's friends had to say about him. Mm. Quote, he was tall, not quite handsome, a bit of a rake. I remember that he had a very queer sense of humor. He would laugh at things that none of the rest of us thought were funny. Oh, same. <laughs> and would scarcely crack his lips at a side splitter. Still, we all wanted him at our parties. He was a good conversationalist, and all the women loved him. End quote. Damn. All right. <laughs> that, that's an amazing description. We should all be so lucky. Really tells you where Leto gets it from. Yeah. Being raised by his uh, solo father. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. I love that especially because there's a little moment where right after arriving on Arrakis, Duke Leto is looking at Lady Jessica and he, the writing just says he takes a moment to appreciate basically her beauty and how elegant she looks. Mm -hmm. And he thinks to himself, thank God Paul takes after her. <laughs> and obviously Duke Leto's also a painfully attractive man, but <laughs> it is funny to think about Minotaurus and the, the line that Leto comes from being not quite handsome, you know, a bit of a rake. I love that. That's great. Yeah. It's a great description. And it puts into perspective the type of man that raised Leto and the type of ideal that he perhaps aimed for for a lot of his life. I'm sure we see echoes of his father in the way that Leto acts on screen and in the pages as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. Now, with his parentage squared away, we don't actually get a lot more information about his actual upbringing. Right. How his father raised him. What we know is that, of course, Mentor did his best to train his son to become the future head of House Atreides. Right. And part of that training was putting him under the tutelage of a guy we know very well. Yeah. Thufir Hawat, <laughs> Mentat, master of assassins, loyal servant of House Atreides. Has never made a mistake in his life. <laughs> the... <laughs> Known, in fact, for never making a mistake. <laughs> He's famous for it. fear Hawan. He's famous for it. <laughs> and as much as we give him a hard time, it is worth remembering that Thufir is often considered like the embodiment of the best qualities of a Mentat in the universe. Like one of the best Mentats in the universe. So having him as a sort of like secondary father figure or a character to help raise and sculpt Leto's intellect, huge, huge boon. And very early on in Leto's life, we actually see a direct impact of, of maybe his maturity at a young age. And again, I see tons and tons of parallels here between Paul, who we spend so much time with, and Leto as a young man as well. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. When Leto is 16, and this is just fucking so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Duke Minotaurus sent him to a revolt at Mask Prime. What does that mean? Doesn't matter. It was a place, there was a revolt. <laughs> Young Leto was there 
with a small force as designated observer for House Atreides. So no plan to be directly involved in any kind of conflict or combat there. There because House Atreides, you know, has a responsibility to the Empire. Right. Leto realized as he's observing this scenario play out, this big revolt play out, he realized that the plan that the other houses had come up with was just fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It was a dumb plan. And he's sitting there going, well, that's stupid. So he held back. And again, as an observer, seems right. He just kind of watched. <laughs> sure enough, pretty much all of the houses who had assembled them, their forces there lost pretty much all of their fighters. Yikes. In this dumbass plan. <laughs> but, and this is the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> By the time the Imperial <laughs> militia reinforcements arrived. So, you know, the Empire was like, oh, shit, everyone died? Oh, no. Send backup. By the time backup arrived, Leto had quelled the revolt. Oh, my God. And was in control of the planet. <laughs> this 16-year-old was chilling in the palace like... What revolt? Oh, that thing? Oh, I took care of it. Guys, don't Amazing. Worry. And you might be wondering what qualities Leto had that he, as a 16-year-old, was able to do this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the Dune Encyclopedia gives us kind of a broad overview of the young man at that age. Quote, His patient and life-saving tactics of siege, war, and sabotage had worked brilliantly. His judgment and strong leadership won him the immediate loyalty of the Atreides forces, a loyalty which was to grow to somewhat legendary proportions over the course of Leto's reign. End quote. And man, I like I worked at a board game store when I was sixteen. Yeah. Abu, does that is that comparable? Am I on the same level as Leto or <sighs> Did you win the immediate loyalty of your coworkers at the board game shop? <laughs> Like 20% of customers, sometimes. If I was, <laughs> is that the same? That's a terrible NPS score. God damn. I know. Pump those numbers up. <laughs> I was young and bad at my job. <laughs> That's fair. No, it, it's comparable. Let's say it's comparable. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Leto, quelling rebellions, taking over planets. You, selling people Catan. <laughs> it was so much Catan. Tomato, tomato. Oh my God, how'd you know? <laughs> so... It's clear to us by this point that at a very young age, Leto is capable. Right. And unfortunately, it's at this point that tragedy strikes. Just a few years later, his father, Duke Mentor Atreides, is killed, as we know from the books, in the bullfighting ring. Right. And thus, a young Duke Leto, at the ripe old age <laughs> of 23, oh, man. became the head of House Atreides. <laughs> owner of planet Kaladin, duke of this great house we don't need to talk about what i was doing when i was 23 <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i don't think i was a fully formed human by 23 still i was still working on it <laughs> <laughs> wow hmm. now of course the silver lining in this tragedy is what we've already established right leto is extremely capable if at 16 he was quelling rebellions just wait <laughs> Until you see what he can do at 23. Right. He's already demonstrated that he's brilliant, <laughs> he's principled, and that he's politically savvy. And of course, I'm sure by this age, he's easy on the eyes as well. Oh, totally. Oh my <laughs> God. Can you imagine the beard he was able to grow? Oh my gosh. <laughs> maybe he just had like an awkward stash. Like maybe he had like an awkward facial hair stage. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> Didn't we all? Well, 
Not everybody was immediately Team Leto. And as soon as he ascended to the throne, he had a problem on his hands that he had to deal with. Atreidean troops were not just on Caladan. When House Atreides settled on Caladan, they settled forces on a lot of neighboring planets and systems. A nearby planet, Pinskau, had a, a bit of a crisis. Atreidean troops stationed there took their own officers prisoner Uh-oh. in mutiny, Uh-oh. demanding changes to be made. They're like, we hate it. We hate something. We don't know what, but we hate it. We're unhappy. And we don't get specifics about what exactly was wrong. But to your point, Abu, he was quelling rebellion since he was 16. He's 150% the age <laughs> he was <laughs> at 16. He's got this. Yeah. He handled the crisis with flying colors. Here's the excerpt from the encyclopedia. Quote, Leto took the time and care to uncover the true reason for his troops holding prisoner their own officers and to ensure that their totally justifiable grievances were dealt with. End quote. All right. And man, if he's not the boss I want to have. <laughs> yeah, for real. Come on, Jeff Bezos. Fuck, it's that easy. <laughs> Just take the time. Understand the grievance. It's fine. It's fine. Leto's great. Uh, just a living wage. <laughs> a $15 an hour's poverty. <laughs> Throw in a four-day work week. Oh. Everyone's happy. Oh, I bet Leto does a four-day work week oh. with his troops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of Planet Kaladin. <laughs> Federally mandated four-day work weeks. Guaranteed. Also, 25% discount in the House of Trades gift shop in Castle Kaladin. <laughs> so... You get your get swag. that Atreides merch, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best way to support that operation. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash House Atreides. <laughs> <laughs> now, word about how Leto handled these mutinous troops gets out. Right. And his legend continues to grow. His ability to command this kind of loyalty and respect with his people continues to grow. And it earns him a boatload of respect. Right. The encyclopedia says that, quote, through sheer force of personality and evidence of his unbreakable integrity. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. That's how he handled that situation. Integrity. Right. The sheer force of his personality. Right. And this then leads to the highly respected and quite powerful Duke Leto that we know and love later in the books. Right. He has now earned this reputation of loyalty and trustworthiness and honorability that he would maintain for the rest of his life. Right. As a really quick side note, think about him talking to Paul and how tired he is, and he's tired of, like, the political games. 23-year-old Leto right now is leaning into that bravura yeah is like becoming that duke that we talk about yeah just on the topic of like deepening our understanding of some of these familiar scenes his exhaustion in that moment is like 40 years of exhaustion because this moment in his timeline is like the moment that everyone's going wow what a just great and honorable duke well you can't fuck up now right <laughs> you can't now turn around and be like yeah but i'm still gonna like have slaves <laughs> <laughs> the bar is now too high. Right. He's got to meet his own standards. And I just wanted to like, as we go on this journey, and as we see these sort of beats play out, thinking about 
the psychology of Leto yeah. as a young man, understanding that that uh, maybe reputation and how important it can be. Right. Exactly. And I'm sure it's a standard that he holds himself to as well. Oh, totally. It's not just pressure he feels externally. I'm sure it comes from inside as well. Right. He's got this sense of honor. Yeah. The way he was raised. He's an Atreides. He's got to uphold that name. All of that factors into it. So now that this young Duke is on the rise, of course, his name comes onto the radar of a little known guy known as Emperor of the Known Universe, Shaddam the Fourth Carino. Who's that? I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of him? Does he have Jordans? <laughs> I feel like he has Jordans. <laughs> he has uncreased Air Jordans. Yo. That'll become really important. I hope no one takes those from him. <laughs> <laughs> so Shaddam, Emperor of the Known Universe, yeah. invites Leto to come hang out. Invites him over for some drinks and a board game. Maybe some ice cream. Catan, yeah. <laughs> Catan. They're going to play some Catan. <laughs> Two-player Catan. It's awful. He's <laughs> just like, let's play spin the bottle. Lato's like, just Holy the two shit. of us? <laughs> He's like, what? Come on. It's cool. We do it with all the private audiences. <laughs> right. I'm the emperor. Do what I say. <laughs> so it's during this Catan slash spin the bottle game <laughs> that the emperor becomes enthralled no kidding by leto's charisma and other things we can assume <laughs> and this game goes on so long and they the talk they're having is going so well yeah that he can this is so funny the encyclopedia says that he keeps pushing off other shit he had to do that day yeah <laughs> keeps pushing off other things on his calendar to continue to sit here and chat with this incredible young duke leto yeah and the irony of all of this, of course, is we know where this relationship goes in the book. Right. And it's perhaps here in this fateful original one-on-one -on -one meeting right. between the emperor and the duke that the downfall of House Atreides begins. Right. This is where Shaddam first meets Duke Leto and perhaps first starts to feel those inklings of jealousy that we know force him to act later in the book. Right. But- at least for now, he loves him. <laughs> He's super into it. The spin the bottle game, the Catan game went great. Duke Leto agreed to every <laughs> trade. He's like, what? Four of my sheep for one of your wood? Let's do it. Hello. <laughs> I know it's a bad trade, but listen, he's politically savvy. <laughs> we get this quote, and this is something we mentioned in the History of House Atreides episode, but it's worth saying again here. So we have a kind of a complete package. And this is Shaddam saying, after Leto left, to his personal secretary, quote, If they were all simply as correct and as sure of their place as the Duke, the empire would be a paradise. End quote. Wow. And you're right. I mean, again, this is the beginning of the end in some ways, because, yeah, this is the moment that Shaddam meets the charismatic young Duke of House Atreides. But at least in that moment, oh, he's as sold as we are. He's just, yeah, that young man, what a beard. <laughs> Love him. Yeah. Yeah, truly. So Leto then continues to be a great duke. And there are a number of stories and adventures that Leto undergoes. But there's one that's worth calling out from the encyclopedia. Right. That we wanted to quickly discuss. Yeah. Just two years into his dukedom, in the year 10,165 AG, House Harkonnen, 
their bitter rivals, fucks around with another House Atreides ally, another house. Right. And Leto decides it's time for payback. These Harkonnens are getting too bold. Right. And apparently around this time, early in his life, it was pretty normal for Leto to actually go out on these operations with his men. Right. And oftentimes these were very covert, no flags, no insignia, no official declaration of any war situations. Right. Right. And or even admission afterwards. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what what raid? What? No, I was playing Catan. Like I, you can check <laughs> <laughs> you can check the security log. <laughs> the just the boldness. Yeah. So it it's one of these Catan raids that in ten thousand one hundred and sixty five Duke Leto goes on against House Harkonnen. Right. And specifically, they attack the city of Bathys. Yeah. It's got a bunch of A's. <laughs> it's got a lot of A's. It could be Bathys or it could be Bathas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the correct pronunciation is Bathas. <laughs> Either way, Bathys is a city on Giddy Prime, of course, the Harkonnen home planet. Right. And... Leto and his crew specifically targeted that city because it was a bustling slave market. Boo. Because, of course, the Harkonnens use slave labor. Stop using slaves. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks so much. Have we mentioned the Harkonnens are the bad guys? I'm starting to think they are. I mean, after <laughs> all of these pages, I'm like, these guys kind of, they suck. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Now, as a result of this attack, the Atreides troops end up freeing and this is an insane number. Right. 20,000 slaves. Nice. Hell yeah. And in addition, mm-hmm. they also managed to severely damage the entire Harkonnen slaving fleet while they're at it. Oh, hell yeah. A double whammy, a one-two punch. Amazing. And the incredible part of all of this is that these 20,000 slaves that were freed were given a choice. Yeah. You can return to Kaladin with us. We'll offer you transport to any of our ally planets, wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. You have your life back. You are now completely freed. And what's notable is that one of these freed slaves is our man, Gurney motherfucking Halleck. Oh, I was waiting for the last name. I was like, one of the other Gurneys? Nope. Gurney Halleck. <laughs> Hell nope. yeah. The one we know <laughs> and love. Oh, God. He's so overpowered. <laughs> yep. And if you want to learn all about Gurney's history and why he was in these slave pits and how he got freed and how he ends up working for the Atreides, go listen to our completely spoiler-free Gurney Halleck episode for a deep dive on that. He's amazing. What a great character. And sure enough, next 30 years, Gurney Halleck ends up being one of the key players in House Atreides. Yep. Not only in intergalactic affairs and politics and training the men because he's one of the best fighters in the universe. He also is a good friend and a trusted advisor to Leto, and of course, a teacher and father figure to our very own Paul, sweet Timothy Chalamet, Atreides. Right. And so this marks kind of the rise of Duke Leto. We've mostly talked about awesome, cool shit that Duke Leto is (laughs) up to. Yeah. And things going incredibly, incredibly well for him. Right. But of course, as we know, what comes up must go down. I believe Newton said something like that. Keeps going up forever. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to take a little break here. 
But don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to continue exploring Duke Leto's life and how things take a turn for the worst. Right. Welcome back, everybody. Man, I hope you didn't get too popular during the break because it's a problem. It'll backfire. <laughs> it can backfire. It's dangerous. <laughs> Be unpopular. That's my motto. That's my, <laughs> that's my MO. Let's talk about the kind of beginning of the end for Leto Atreides. Leto's popularity and his reputation is growing and growing and growing and growing. And as we've sort of mentioned, it becomes a problem. Now, basically, to put it simply, his reputation made him popular, of course. People loved him. They're like, what a great guy. But other house leaders who had like image problems, they were always, you know, insecure. They took his kind of goody two-shoes, perfect, handsome, good with the ladies, really good at Catan. They took those <laughs> qualities as like kind of subtle, better-than-thou jabs. Like, oh, you're so good, you're above me, really? So he started to have some enemies, basically. Yeah, I mean, look, there's always going to be people that are envious of your come-up. Yeah, totally. That is an inevitable result. Right. And in fact, to make matters worse, unlike many of his Atreides ancestors, yeah. Duke Leto refuses to marry for political reasons, which on one hand is a tactical approach. It makes him a very eligible, handsome duke when it comes to negotiating, perhaps. It gives him an edge. Right. But on the other hand, that kind of causes its own flavor of political blowback and tension. Yeah. Because without securing a duchess, and securing his dynasty with children, the future of House Atreides is perhaps up in the air. So it's a, that decision is a double-edged sword on his part. I will say that became more clear to me during our History of House Atreides episode because there's so many instances of an Atreidean uh, head of house marrying like a Carino head of house and vice versa, where it's like people are all mingling and, and marrying and, and, you know, House Atreides right now, because he's an eligible bachelor, sure, that's a card they can play at some point, right? Yep. But it also means that House Atreides is 100% isolated. Yeah. If they had maybe formed a union with, for instance, Carinos, then all of the events of Dune just wouldn't have happened. But also some of the other things that happen that we're about to talk about also wouldn't happen. So it's just this incredibly complicated chess game, almost as complicated as Settlers of Catan, that he's playing <laughs> on this galactic political scale. And genuinely, uh, I, I think that all of this makes so much more sense to me looking at the full history of House Atreides, honestly. Yeah, that's such a great point. And actually, we're going to return to this topic of marriage in just a second yeah but we have to take a little <laughs> sidestep here uh -huh. and talk about this because it's during this period of his life yeah a little later in his dukedom mm -hmm. that leto starts uh literally taking in orphans <laughs> into his household uh-huh <laughs> and according to the encyclopedia apparently whenever there was a promising young orphan that crossed duke leto's path he would basically adopt them into the household, 
raising them as members of the family. Mm. And these orphans would then stay in the castle until Leto could find them a good master or mentor right. and apprentice them off and kind of set them off into a new path in life. Man, what doesn't this dude do? <laughs> For real. That's nuts. You're telling me he's also a doctor? <laughs> he saves lives on the side? Just for fun? What? I mean, it does kind of explain why Duke Leto Atreides, who only has the one kid of his own, is such a good dad. It does, yeah. He's not fucking up with Paul. He's done this before, just with, you know, foster orphans. For sure. Nuts. <laughs> what a weird That's wild. detail. It's fun, though. It's cool. Duke Leto's Tinder profile <laughs> is the kind of profile you swipe to and you immediately are like, that is so fucking fake. Yeah. That's definitely catfish. a bot. 100% catfish. Catfish. 100%. Tender Swindler level. <laughs> the new season of Tender <laughs> Swindler. It's about Duke Leto Atreides, if that is his right. real name. Yeah. Oh, he adopts orphan? Come on. Sure. Now he needs 250,000 Solaris. He's only known you for a month. Okay, that'll be very funny for people who've watched Tender Swindler. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't get that joke, but it's... <laughs> I, I trust you landed it. It's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all I ask. <laughs> all right, let's get back to the topic of marriage. Sure. Yeah. Just because he's not married doesn't mean Duke Leto Atreides does not fuck. Right. <laughs> he's got companionship, folks. There's Gurney, of course. Gurney is around. <laughs> Shaddam, when he visits. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Apparently, in addition to adopting these orphans, another thing that Leto would do that would just be unbelievable on his Tinder profile <laughs> is that he would have concubines brought to Castle Kaladin. Sure. And after a short time, he would basically free them. He would free them from their contracts, sometimes literally buying out the contracts for like a penny. Right. You know, Duke Leto is a young, handsome lad, and he had some companionship through these concubines, but then he would do what he did with the orphans and kind of set them on a different life path or break them of bondage of some sorts. A big theme in his life, <laughs> just constantly helping people. Yeah. I mean, again, I think we on Gamjabar are pro-sex work. Of course. Maybe these concubines love to do it, but now they own their own contract. They don't need to pay a cut to some, you know, bigger business. They don't have to pay a cut to their buyers. Yeah. They own their own their own lives. They own their own destiny fully, 100%. Pretty damn sweet. There is kind of a, a weird side element to this though. Yeah. <laughs> if a buyer brought him a concubine <laughs> and she was boring? Oh no. He would fire the buyer. <laughs> He's like your whole career is done. <laughs> She's boring Ugh. it's uh savage <laughs> it's we'll talk about how that's a little bit problematic later because apparently leto went through quite a few buyers yeah anytime a guy was bringing a concubine to duke leto he's like i might get fired if this concubine isn't also interesting to talk to or at least good at Catan, right or <laughs> good at the other popular board games that i can't think of right now yeah <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of a darker side to that part of Duke Leto's life. Right. But it also shows us that my guy's not perfect. He's not a Tinder catfish or a bot. 
he's a human person and he's got his own vices as well. Right. That's true. Now, all of this setup then brings us to 10,175 AG, a fateful year in the life of Duke Leto Atreides. Yeah. It's at this time that one of these buyers brings forth a woman from the Bene Gesserit School, the local chapter here on Kaladin. And this woman's name is Jessica. Hey, Jessica. Now, the encyclopedia says that Thufir, upon, you know, being given a gift from this Bene Gesserit school, performed a careful investigation of the young concubine. Uh-huh. Which, I, personally, I find this just hilarious in retrospect because Thufir, my guy, she's a Harkonnen. And listen, <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, put any of this on Thufir. He's he's made some mistakes. I don't think this is one of them. The Bene Gesserit are very good at keeping secrets. But just as a Mentat projection... I bet he's fucking rolling in his grave <laughs> at the end of Dune. He's like, she's a fuck. What? Oh, man. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. And, you know, this actually kind of changes the context of the whole traitor plot in Dune as well. Because Thufir is so suspicious of Jessica during the book. Oh, my God. Good point. And you can imagine how... Perhaps he's now like second guessing himself and feeling guilt, like, oh shit, like it's on him. I'm part of the reason Jessica's even in this house. Oh my God. Yeah. So perhaps he's a little overreacting to the fact that many years ago, all the way back in 10,175 AG, it was his job to investigate this woman. And now he's worried he didn't do his job right. I mean, listen. When he thinks he's she's the traitor. That actually does quite a bit to temper my frustration for Thufir. Yeah. He's in that room. You know, she tells him to sit. She rattles his old bones. You know, and we see how hard he takes his personal fuck-ups. Like when he misses the hunter-seeker pilot, he, like, tries to quit a, right. <laughs> a three-generation <laughs> job. Oh, that's so good. Wow. Yeah. It adds an extra layer to that. I need to revisit those scenes now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, Jessica is no everyday concubine that's being brought forth. Right. She has been offered by the Bene Gesserit headmistress as a bound concubine. And what that basically means is that she would work exclusively for the Duke and would be able to serve House Atreides as an advisor, among other things. Right. So she's bringing not only herself as a woman and partner for Duke Leto, but also her skills as a Bene Gesserit adept, her political savviness, her observational skills, and her knowledge from all her years at the school. I mean, we talked about it in Jessica, the Jessica episode, part one. The education of Bene Gesserit is unmatched. Yeah. And it's in politics, it's in economics, it's in galactic affairs. You know, she is such a valuable asset. Yeah, exactly. But wait, wait, Leo. Uh-huh. It goes one step further. Oh. This is not just a smart offer you don't turn down. Sure. This is the moment Duke Leto's life has changed forever. Oh my God. Is this a Hallmark moment? It is a Hallmark certified Hallmark <laughs> moment. If Hallmark moments were fucking. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we talked about their initial meeting in our Lady Jessica deep dive in the part one episode. Mm -hmm. But let's go over the story quickly here again, because it's such a good story. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
The buyer, who introduces Jessica to Duke Leto, quickly removes himself from the room. My guy is afraid to lose his job. Right. We know Duke Leto's reputation with buyers. <laughs> yeah. Now, Leto and Jessica, we are told in the encyclopedia, spend a few hours together. And we don't know what transpired within those hours. Sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this is what the encyclopedia tells us. Right. Quote, what took place between the Duke and Concubine during the next few hours is unknown, but when the Duke arrived for his meal a few hours later, he did so with the new Concubine on his arm, a privilege never granted to any other Concubine. And during the dinner, he included Jessica in the table conversation, end quote. Damn. <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. I mean, in addition to being clearly hungry, ravenous appetite, <laughs> they'd both caught feelings. Yeah. He's got her on his arm. He's introducing her to people. He's like, hey, have you met Jessica? Mm -hmm. They're like, didn't she arrive like three hours ago? He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's been a great three hours. Fully caught feelings. So much so. And this is just the sweetest little gesture, isn't it? Leto dismissed every concubine buyer he had on staff. Yikes. And I love it because the the Dune Encyclopedia sets up the conversation where he goes, I no longer need your services. And the buyer, again, terrified of losing his job. Shits himself. He yeah. shits himself. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck, she's boring. Oh, no. <laughs> Leto's like, no, man, you misunderstood. I don't need any more concubines. I'm done. I found the one I want. Yeah. And you're talking to Duke Leto Atreides. Leto sets the dude up. He's like, listen, you're not a buyer anymore because I'm firing all the buyers. Do you want to be, oh, I don't know, quartermaster general? Hello. Being in charge of all trade to and from this whole planet? <laughs> Amazing. What a dumb promotion. But it's the sort of thing I'm sure really uh, turned that guy's life around. For real. <laughs> also, might just be a terrible staffing choice. What if the guy sucks? Like, I right. don't know. It seems, uh, seems brash. I like to imagine Leto wasn't quite thinking straight in this moment. He's smitten. <laughs> he's got this beautiful woman on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just flexing out here, you know, just showing off, showing off in front of her. It's like, my guy, have that planet. See that, Jessica? Gave him a whole planet. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that because I'm Duke. His aides and advisors are like, did he just fucking give away that planet? We need that planet for so many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like to imagine he's just flexing here. Yeah, totally. So as we said, that momentous hallmark moment happened in the year 10,175 AG. Right. And in that very same year, just five short months after their fateful meeting, it's announced that Jessica is pregnant. Right. And four short months after that announcement, Paul Atreides is born. Our guy. Well. Wait a second. Let me do the math here. Uh-huh. I think uh -huh. they may have been having sex. Hello! <laughs> Nine Wait. Well, explains why they were hungry. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This all but confirms what happened in those few hours. Oh, totally. They literally conceived of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Their love was so strong that they created the Kwisatz Hatterach together. That was the moment Jessica was like, wow, he gave that guy a planet? I'm going to have a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really sweet about all of this, joking aside, is that Paul's birth also marks another milestone in Leto's life. Yeah. This is where he stops going on those crazy raids. Right. 
these extremely classified, undercover, dangerous raids into Harkonnen cities. Mm. This marks the beginning of a domestic life for Leto. Yeah. He really kind of takes fatherhood by the reins. And we get this quote from the encyclopedia. Quote, I have all that an honest man could want. The love of a woman, the loyalty of my subjects, the respect of my peers, and a son. Mm. End quote. That's, that's so fucking cute. Adorable. Oh, Adorable. Man. Yeah, to be clear, Leto didn't like totally shirk his <laughs> imperial responsibilities. He would still like report to battle. And of course, he's a brave, good leader. So he'd be out there on the front lines. But you're totally right. He's no longer like instigating armed combat. <laughs> and all of his energy in this period goes into Paul's childhood and making sure that this young Duke-to-be, this Naduke, was worthy of carrying the Atreidian name. And although that sounds like a much safer life to live, this is also the point at which things really turn uh, for the worst. And this is the point where maybe the dream starts twisting a little bit and you get that sinking feeling in your stomach yeah exactly so let, let's wrap up our exploration of his life here totally as we get nearer to the start of dune all of these years later the emperor shaddam the fourth is still quite fond of leto yeah but a number of other nobles are starting to grow jealous and insecure just as you hinted at earlier in the episode leo right this orphan-adopting, slave-freeing, loyalty-winning sex machine of a duke <laughs> is making them all look bad. And thus they start these, like, whispering campaigns to blight his image, to bring down this duke. Right. And while this doesn't have a direct effect on Duke Leto and the Landstrad, Shaddam IV clearly starts hearing some of these rumors. Right. And this is the point where the damage is done. This is the point where the vindictive, jealous emperor that we know from the books starts to show his face. Totally, yeah. So in the year 10,176 AG, this is actually kind of around when Paul is born. Nevertheless, uh, Leto was sent out for imperial duties to the Battle of Grumman, and he fucking saved the day. The M.O. of Leto Atreides. Classic. Classic. He's been doing it since he was 16, folks. He's practiced. He's twice that age now. It's amazing. <laughs> Shaddam, as you said, Abu, starts feeling very intimidated. The risk to the 10,000-year Carino throne if this hot, sex machine, orphan-saving dude gets too powerful. He's popular. Mm -hmm. What if he gets more popular? That's a real risk. Mm -hmm. Leto, meanwhile, never any sign of disloyalty. Right. No thing to, like, be suspicious of. But, you know, we've all been in that situation. Like, there's no good reason to be suspicious. But, you know, sometimes it happens. It's just difficult when you rule the entire fucking universe. <laughs> and that suspicion is, like, reinforced by every other person at court. Leto's meanwhile like, I don't want the throne. Go away, dude. <laughs> so Shaddam starts falling into this pit of feeling very intimidated by Leto. And this really sets the stage for the year 10,190, right? 
Over a decade later, a decade of whispers and suspicions and feeling insecure about his mm-hmm. throne. Mm-hmm. The size of my throne is fine. I don't, it's not, it's <laughs> average, he says to the silent audience. House Harkonnen approach Shaddam. They approach him with this idea, this plan to trap House Atreides. And Shaddam, 14 years of suspicion and throne fear and all of that stuff, that cocktail of just feeling very insecure has had its effect and he accepts Mm -hmm. he goes you know what sounds great sounds like an opportunity to get rid of house atreides and also i can weaken house harkonnen in the process because yeah not super fond of them either they've got they've got like slaves and shit they're not good right right and you know as a kind of broad metaphor for all of this you think about a 14 year plan that then takes place over the span of multiple years, right? You know, Leto had, through his years, through his time as Duke of House Atreides, used that sterling reputation, that integrity, to build up basically what is a shield of the most loyal and competent people in the galaxy. Gurney Halleck, Duncan Idaho, some of the most incredible people in the galaxy. And Someone on Reddit pointed this out, and I I thought this was a fantastic metaphor that I just totally missed until scripting this episode. But as we all know, in Dune, the slow blade penetrates the shield. Mm -hmm. And although Leto Atreides had built up this fantastic, effective shield of loyalty and almost fanaticism among his followers and his, his constituents, all it takes is a slow approach a traitor in the household, a galactic plan that takes place over multiple years, and thus Leto Atreides dies in those events that are familiar to all of us. And it really is sort of a broad analogy for the Holtzman shield and for a slip tip or a Kenjal eased through that barrier slowly to avoid repulsion. Yeah, I love that metaphor. And there we go. That is the life of Duke Leto Atreides leading up to the first pages of Dune. Yeah. So much of what we've talked about changes my perspective on the Duke, on Oscar Isaac, on a character I've always loved. Yeah. But now I can't wait to revisit the story and rewatch the movie with these things in mind. His incredible feats starting as early as age 16, his come up within the Landstrad, him saving orphans. (laughs) All of that is going to be now going through my head the next time I revisit Dune. Yeah. It's amazing. What a life he's led. Or even just, you know, from the age of 23, and we meet him and he's in his 50s? 50s. Yeah, he's in his 50s. So almost 30 years of playing that political game that we know he abhors. And we'll talk a little bit about this, but just for me, immediately, I'm like, I have so much more sympathy for his exhaustion because it's decades. It's nothing recent. It's nothing new. It's his whole political career is weighing on him and leaving him feeling very bitter and isolated because he's always got to put on this act. Yeah. Also, man, your point about Thufir, yeah. I really do suddenly have a lot more sympathy for <laughs> Thufir. That's nuts. <laughs> Which is also funny because it's kind of our headcanon or it's like speculation a little bit. Yeah. But still... What a great humanizing idea. Anyway, we will talk more about all of this stuff 
with this analysis of Duke Leto's character in conjunction with some of the broader themes of Dune. But we're going to take a quick break. One last quick break. So stick around. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about Leto's duality right after this break. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Now that we've talked about the specifics of Duke Leto's life, all the way up to the pages of Dune and beyond, let's take a step back and look at some of the broader themes of Duke Leto, of his life and his legacy, right? and how they fit so neatly into some of the major themes in the Dune saga in this entire story. And to start off, let's dive into the duality of Duke Leto. Right. So- A theme that comes up often around Paul is his duality, especially toward the end of the first book. Right. Paul himself actually acknowledges that there are two versions of him. At the end of the book, when he calls out Fade Ratha, the emperor says that Fade is protected under Paul's ducal promise of safety. Right, right. And this is how Paul responds. Quote, you have the word of a duke, but Muad'Dib is another matter. He may not recognize your definition of what constitutes an entourage. End quote. Yeah. Wow. Beginning of Paul Atreides versus Paul Muad'Dib, right? Exactly. Exactly. And we're starting to see how he has to balance these two lives. He has one foot squarely in the Atreidean world. Right. In the Imperium, in the Landstrad. He is a head of a great house. But he has another foot squarely within Fremen culture. He has been accepted as one of them. He is their Lisan al-Gaib. Yeah. And he has to balance these two parts of himself. So all of that's familiar to us. And it's something that we can't stop talking about, literally, (laughs) because it keeps coming up. (laughs) But let's take a moment. And this is going to be a little bit unpleasant because we love Duke Leto. But let's look at how Leto sets the stage for Paul to basically be that person to be that man. Right. And as a as a quick side note, Irulan ca- fucking calls this out <laughs> yeah. so beautifully. Yeah. And I think that this is a quote to keep in mind as we talk today. Irulan says in her commentaries on Muad'Dib about Duke Leto Atreides, quote, a man of surpassing warmth and surprising coldness was the Duke Leto Atreides. And then shortly thereafter, what is the son but an extension of the father, end quote. Oof. Incredible insight from Irulan here. Yep. But let's take a look at some of the good things that we've said and then a vicious, cynical look at those same things, the other side of each coin. Right. So, Leto, settled disputes through compassion, understanding, amazing. He freed slaves, hell yeah. He freed concubines, Sold them their contracts. Hell yes. Love it. And he fostered orphans, giving them a future. <laughs> Goodness. Again, an unbelievable Tinder profile. He's, He's too good to be true. Catfishing us all. <laughs> and here's why. What does he get out of each of these things? Yeah. And God, I'll have to apologize for this in a second, but hear me out. Listen, he treats his troops well. Because this secures deeper, almost fanatical loyalty. We see this in the book. People say, mm-hmm. "You, if you turn, I will do nothing but follow you. You have my allegiance until the day I die. And he never wastes any of those personnel. 
He never loses and wastes men. He freed slaves, sure, but to strike back at the Harkonnen economy. Yep. He was doing this to hurt the Harkonnen economy, which also, coincidentally, deepens the feud between the houses, which, as we know, kills fucking millions of people, Yeah, <laughs> these battles between the two houses. And also, you can't raid and destroy infrastructure in a city without killing or harming innocents in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Innocent people in Bathus almost certainly were injured or killed or even just their situation was made more precarious by the fact that House Atreides swept through, blew shit up, in the Harkonnen opinion, kind of stole this workforce away and then just left. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, this extends to the concubines as well. Right. He frees them, but it sounds like he only does that after, you know, employing them for their services. Sure. Yeah. And, of course, we talked about it earlier, the darker side of all of this. God help you if you're the buyer who brings him a boring concubine. (laughs) Right. He's going to make sure you never find work on Kaladin ever again. He's going to ruin your fucking life. You brought me a boring woman. I'm a good guy. Yeah. You're fired. (laughs) Exactly. It's not the best look for our guy, Duke Leto. Yeah. And look, while we're poking holes, we might as well talk about the orphans as well. Yes. He brings orphans into the household. Yes, he finds them mentors to give them a new life, to train them in skills that they can then employ, to change their lives forever. But based on the wording in the encyclopedia, it seems clear to us, at least, that he's only bringing in orphans that seem promising. (laughs) Yeah. Talented young children who may have some sort of career in the future or may go on to be one of those fanatically loyal people to House Atreides that then serve him later in life because he saved their lives. Yeah. Oh, you're an orphan? Cool. What's your talent? What's your skill? Right. How do you help me out? Right. You're talentless? Fuck off. (laughs) Wouldn't a good guy just take in any orphan? Yeah. Without thinking, what do I get out of this? I want one who's good at math. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Be good at something. Yeah. Yeah. And- Look, we understand that we're being sort of intentionally harsh and cynical here. Right, right. And while we are 100% Team Leto, it's important to not just brush some of these acts under the rug as well. Right. He is still a duke of a great house, and being in that position of power always means there is some type of blood on your hands. Right. Doesn't have to be directly necessarily, but you had a hand in something where people died. Right. And Leto is not free of that. And the part that makes him such a good guy is that he is fully aware of this as well. Right. He confesses to intentionally leaning into this whole good guy Leto shtick. Yeah. In one of my all-time favorite chapters in Dune, there is this extremely vulnerable moment where Paul and his father are alone together. And he opens up to his son, quote, Nothing wins more loyalty for a leader than an heir of Bravura, the Duke said. I, therefore, cultivate an heir of Bravura. End quote. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Oh, man. He recognizes both, I am doing good, and also, I am getting benefit out of it. Right. And he recognizes that he must do that. He lives in a society and wields the kind of power 
where you cannot do things guilt-free. And when Paul kind of pushes back on this, again, this is his father yeah. telling him, I'm not as good as you think, but right. Leto's response is, Ugh, it's a one-two punch. Right. He says, quote, my propaganda core is one of the finest. <laughs> and then a little later in the conversation, did you know we're using spice residue as raw material and already have our own factory to manufacture film base? We mustn't run short of film base. Else, how could we flood village and city with our information? Mm. The people must learn how well we govern them. How would they know if we didn't tell them? End quote. Can you imagine being his son in that moment? You're like looking up to your dad. You're like, oh, he's so great. You're so great, dad. Yeah. And he goes, I appear great and people love me because I tell them to love me through propaganda. <laughs> it's like, yikes. Oh, cool. Uh, not the way I thought this conversation was going to go. And to be clear, it's not just from Duke Leto that we get this, right? I'm always struck by, there's a little passage. It's Jessica speaking with Dr. Yui. This is right after they arrive on Arrakis and she is talking to him about, about Duke Leto. She says this, quote, The Duke is really two men. One of them I love very much. He's charming, witty, considerate, tender, everything a woman could desire. But the other man is cold, callous, demanding, selfish, as harsh and cruel as the winter wind. That's the man shaped by the father. End quote. Wow. This is a shocking paragraph to hear from the woman who loves Leto more than anybody in the universe. Her lover has two sides and she goes yeah he's got two sides and i love one of them <laughs> it's like wh wow uh okay right it is not all sunshine and rainbows and kind of finally there's this one other moment that i found that i couldn't leave out and it's it's just kind of funny to me leto is thinking to himself after his conversation with thufir regarding jessica as the harkonnen traitor and spy and <laughs> He, he thinks to himself, quote, I must rule with eye and claw as the hawk among lesser birds. <laughs> <End quote. laughs> and listen, this is just he's in a bad mood, but I'm a lesser bird, dude. Uh -huh. And that ruffled my feathers. This is some <laughs> bullshit elitist hawk attitude. OK, you went to hawk school and you were raised to be a hawk. Great. Wow. Raptor. Ooh. Yeah. Not all of us. Okay. Some of us are canaries. <laughs> yeah. You think he leans into that hawk thing a bit too much? <laughs> he mentions it in bed all the like, time. Sometimes when him and Jessica are alone, you know, he's yeah. like, baby, call me hawk. Call me hawk. <laughs> call me a I'm hawk. Close. Ka! Ka! <laughs> Ka -ka! <laughs> is that him finishing? <laughs> She's like, the Duke is two men. <laughs> <laughs> one one is a man the other is a hawk <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. say I have beautiful wings say I have beautiful wings <laughs> incredible oh god well there's an image for all of our listeners <laughs> hope that haunts your nightmares folks <laughs> So to wrap up this first point, mm -hmm. we are not here at all, to be clear, to besmirch Leto's character. Right. We are just here to point out how complex of a man he truly is. Right. 
and how complicated of a system and a universe he is a part of. Right. At the end of the day, he objectively helped a lot of people and changed the course of so many people's lives for the better. Look at Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Look at Gurney Halleck. Yeah. People whose lives have been changed and saved by Duke Leto. Right. And of course, this complexity thus is paralleled in his son and almost sets the stage for the duality of Paul. Just like there is a hardened hawk Leto and the soft man Leto who loves his family, mm-hmm. there is Muad'Dib, the dangerous and deadly Fremen, and also Paul Atreides, the boy. Right. Both father and son. And going back to something Irulan said earlier, quote, what is the son but an extension of the father? End quote. Amazing. Great stuff. This is why we love Dune so much. It's complex. Nothing is black and white. Everyone's got layers. Everyone's got feathers. And they're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you've watched Hayao Miyazaki movies, like uh, Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, things like that. A few of them, yeah. He talked in an interview about how in his stories, Mm -hmm. there isn't a bad guy. Like there isn't really a villain. It's more just humans with things that they want and struggles. But the idea of good and evil is inherently itself evil, which I just found to be like a really interesting stance. Yeah. And looking at the universe of Dune, although House Harkonnen is very easy to condemn (laughs) for all sorts of shit. The reality is that even the good guys have plenty of bad and many of the bad guys, quote unquote, have their own reasons for doing what they do and their own justifications. And they're not these like two dimensional caricatures of evil. Yep. It's really, it's, it's cool. It's great stuff. Now, one of Frank's other kind of main theses, theses that we wanted to talk about is it's a little heavy, but honestly, I think this is important to talk about when we're talking about Leto Atreides. Charismatic leaders, famously, Dune is not an advertisement for charismatic leaders. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Frank Herbert was very clear in Dune and Dune Messiah and in all of his interviews all the time. He's very, very clear. Be wary of charismatic leaders for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. But Leto, you know, as we're talking about him, setting up orphans with mentors, freeing concubines, freeing slaves, right? He comes very close to this sort of embodiment of a charismatic leader, right? He's a firm, capable, competent leader, but he's compassionate and he has wisdom. He has that like sense of how do you get to the heart of someone's complaints when they're (laughs) capturing their officers in mutiny (laughs) how do you disarm that and he was 16 and he was doing this and now he's 50 and he's he's so charismatic what is his reward in universe what does he get for all of that righteous wonderful behavior and clearly a lot of work again he's popping anti-fatigue tablets he's not happy right well his reward is he gets fucking murdered right the tooth the tooth (laughs) (laughs) indeed (laughs) 
This is why he fantasizes about being a hawk because he doesn't have teeth. He's like, I don't need teeth. <laughs> I've got a beak. I've got a beak. Yeah. <laughs> Yui's like, remember the tooth. He's like, I don't have teeth. I'm a hawk. Yui's like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I also think about, you know, Game of Thrones, right? Like Eddard Stark from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Eddard Stark was too moral of a character for the universe he inhabited, right? Right. He was too just. He believed, no, good things will happen if you do right by your honor and by your loyalty. If you stick by those qualities, things will turn out all right for you. And they didn't. And I think about Leto as this written in the 60s archetype for this type of character. Yeah. He is so just. He is so charismatic. And what does that get you in a corrupt, complicated universe? Well, it gets you murdered. Yep. (laughs) It gets you punished for not being a little corrupt or not being a little flexible to work outside of the lines and color outside of the lines. Right. And so how does this relate back to Frank's warning against charismatic leaders? Perhaps what he's saying through Duke Leto is that It's the leaders that remain that we should worry about, right? Right, yeah. The ones that are somehow navigating this incredibly amoral and corrupt system Mm -hmm. and still coming off as the good guys, how sure are we that they are good? Right. Right? The system does not allow the good guy to win in the end. Right. Leto is a clear example of that. So the warning thus is if someone is successfully navigating this system right and still coming off as the goody two-shoes watch out right huge red flag something is up i mean you linked me to this like interview with frank about how what was it nixon was like the most helpful leader of the states because he reminded us not to fucking trust politicians (laughs) yeah right especially coming off of like incredibly famous and charismatic presidents like JFK. Right. Who was fucking murdered. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the analogies are so strong here. And you yeah. can clearly see Frank as the author looking at the political world and going, if you survive, you're clearly up to shit. Right. And with that in mind, like thinking about House Atreides and how did it turn out for House Atreides? And this is heavy, but we'll, we'll get through it. Think about it. How Atreides moved to Arrakis, and we're talking about the people we know, the characters we've met, but we're also talking about potentially tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, like humans, soldiers, house, like aides, chefs. The lesser birds, in other words. <laughs> All The flock of lesser birds, yeah. <laughs> they aren't as good, but there's a lot of them. They all die, pretty much. Like, Harkonnens don't really take survivors, and if they do, they're slaves now. That's tough. And we only really hear about, it's a small number, it's like 20-something guys who escape the palace and escape that attack that night. Right. It's wild. And obviously, if you're Gurney Halleck serving House Atreides, you know and you sign up for death as a possible risk for what you're doing, Right. But you think about like the servants, the, you know, janitors, they just got caught up in everything. And ultimately, many of them were probably killed. 
I do appreciate Denis Villeneuve showed us that moment where Beast Raban is going down the line of prisoners, just one at a time, right? Killing him with his big old knife. Mm-hmm. Like, in some ways, this is the most show-don't-tell argument that Frank makes, right? The leader, Paul Atreides, first Leto and then Paul, survives and kind of moves on and things work out for him. He has to, like, get a new people. <laughs> he has right. to find new lesser birds. But <laughs> the followers, the fanatical, loyal people who said, we'll follow you until our deaths, well, they all died. Yep. That's brutal. You think about Frank going, be wary of someone like Leto because you're either going to be led blindly into a trap and you're going to follow because you're so loyal to this charismatic guy or you won't and his charisma is a front and you're being duped. Right. It's so cynical. Lose-lose. Either way. Oh, lose-lose. Like blind fanaticism will net you absolutely nothing. Right. And honestly, today in 2022... That's refreshingly cynical. Yep. Considering this is a book and a thesis <laughs> from the 60s. Right. And hauntingly relevant. It, absurdly relevant. And not to say we discredit the good that Leto did. Right. But to understand the at least the argument that Frank is making in this character is, I think, very important. And that's why we wanted to take this moment and talk about right. it. Right, definitely. And how Leto's life fits into these larger themes in the saga. Right. Okay, that was some heavy shit, Leo. <laughs> so how about this? To wrap up our episode, sure. how about we share some things we love about Duke Leto? Oh, yeah. And you know what? To start, what was your favorite quote from the book, Leo? And what was your favorite quote from the movie? Okay, uh, the movie's easy. Um, uh-huh. Oscar Isaac Reed on They Tried to Take the Life of My Son. Oh, my God. Yes. Unbelievable. I've cried multiple times to that just because it is so heartbreaking. And then from the book, my favorite Duke Leto line is off the beaten path because I saw what you wrote in your kind of selection. And I agree. So I instead chose... In the dinner scene, after the banker basically gets fucking dunked on by Paul, (laughs) we get this incredible moment. Leto says, quote, Do not make the error of considering my son a child, the Duke said. And he smiled. (laughs) End quote. Beautiful. And man, you can feel the pride and the love in that moment. And think about what we've talked about today, right? We've talked about how basically... From the age of like 36, 37, Leto's whole life was dedicated to making sure his son is capable and prepared for the life that he's going to be living. So this moment of we're at dinner and some fucking guy is (laughs) giving my son attitude. My son claps back. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. What a moment of fatherly pride. It's just a genuinely beautiful little moment that I think encapsulates what I love about Duke Leto in those little unspoken moments. But that's me. Those are my kind of two picks, right? What about you? So from the book and then from the movie, your favorite Leto quote. So from the book, it's that very tender moment that we talked about earlier in our discussion Mm -hmm. where Duke Leto is very vulnerable to his son. And the specific quote that gets me every time is, quote, I have to have someone I can say these things to, son. End quote. Oh, man. Yeah. Straight to the <laughs> yeah. gut. Yeah. 
so imagine good. being in his position of power and not being able to open up to anyone because you have to maintain this good guy Leto shtick. Right. You have to maintain this air of bravura. Yeah. Can't show any weakness. And it's in this small chapter with his son that he does. And I think it's such a special humanizing moment. Mm -hmm. So that's my favorite quote from the book. When it comes to the movie, I'm going to go with damn the spice. Oh, yeah. During the spice oh. harvester scene. <laughs> just again, Oscar Isaac's amazing delivery of it is just so powerful. And it's gotten to the point where it's almost a joke in my household now. <laughs> I will sometimes walk around the apartment just screaming damn the spice. That's amazing. Oh my God, I love it. If my if my roommate is like, yo, dude, you want to order dinner? What should we get? My answer, damn the spice. <laughs> it's a bit that everyone but me hates, but I love it. It's just for me and Oscar. What does that mean? I didn't suggest spicy food. <laughs> is that a Dune thing? <laughs> so Yes, it's always a Dune thing. That's always, yes. Kaka! So, <laughs> favorite quote out of the way. Cool. What about favorite scene? Broadening a little bit. Yeah. You're looking at the book, looking at the movie. What is your favorite Duke Leto scene and maybe a little bit of why? So from the book, my favorite Duke Leto scene is easily the Spice Harvester scene. Mm, yeah. In addition to Damn the Spice just being awesome, this is the moment where he not only flies his own ornithopter, <laughs> what a flex. Yeah. How many presidents out here are literally flying Air Force One by themselves? Right. None of them. Right. But also- in an extremely tense situation where a literal worm appears, he's as cool as a cucumber under pressure, mm. and he wins over Liet Kynes. We end that chapter with, quote, I like this Duke. Oh, so good. And Liet, <laughs> I feel the same, buddy. I like this Duke, too. That's a great point. Good call. As far as the movie is concerned, I'm actually going to punt it to you because you picked the same exact scene that I also loved. So I'll let you answer for me on that one. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, in the movie, I think the best Duke Leto scene is the House Atreides grave scene. Yes. Ugh. They're at the graves on the hill, and he has that whole, if whatever destiny comes knocking and your answer is no, you'll still be everything I've ever needed you to be, which is my son. Yeah. Shivers. What an incredible speech. And just the delivery was so amazing also oscar and timothy look so fucking good in that scene i want timothy chalamet's jacket it's so <laughs> big i love it i'm just blown away by the heart of that moment yep so that's my favorite movie scene and it sounds like we're in agreement there yep now for the book scene i god i love so many and honestly what you brought up is spectacular it's just so good I love that he fucking spots the worm. Is that a worm? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. It's not It's not a kangaroo mouse. I mean, what you're seeing is a whole mountain <laughs> moving, but it is nuts that he sees it first. <laughs> he was told, to be clear, he was told three seconds ago what to look for. He's like, oh, that? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So cool. But uh, the moment that I always think about, and this is why I chose it, is where he is talking with Hawat about Jessica is the traitor. He leaves Hawat and he goes back to the conference room and Paul is asleep on the table under a guard's coat. Leto in this moment passes Paul, goes out into the balcony, right? There's a guard there. Guard freaks out. Leto's like, at ease, calm down. And he looks out and for the first time through Frank's writing, we get a sense of 
kind of a profound appreciation for Arrakis's beauty. Like Arrakis, this planet that we come to love, is at this moment so harsh and violent and dangerous for Leto, but he just as much recognizes the beauty of it. And we get this little quote, quote, he had never imagined anything here could be as beautiful as that shattered red horizon and the purple and ochre cliffs, end quote. Wow. And it's just lovely writing. It's beautiful writing. Yeah. But also it is this moment where for really one of the first times, Leto goes, God damn, this planet's beautiful. Maybe there is life here and not just death for me and everyone I know. Um, also, that guard is like, it's a nice evening. <laughs> Earned their SAG card speaking role. Hell yeah. <laughs> Get that bag. Background unnamed guard number one. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Just a great little moment. Beautiful scene. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That is our deep dive look at the one and only Duke Leto Atreides. Mm. His incredible life, the legacy he leaves behind, and how this character fits so snugly within the larger themes of Frank's story. Amazing stuff. He fits as snugly as one might fit into the wings of a very large and handsome hawk. You know, like... With a particularly <laughs> just beautiful beak and just stroke my feathers. Stroke my feathers. Caw! <laughs> <laughs> stroke my That's feathers. Much. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you. That's right. Okay, with all of that... Jesus Christ. (laughs) How's that whole life of smoking treating you? (laughs) You on that Samuda? All that chain smoking. You on that fucking sustained timeless ecstasy? (laughs) Only way to live. Only way to live.